Hello and welcome to episode five of Luther's Catechism Podcast, brought to you by The Way Church. I'm Pastor Matt Rothy. Luther's Catechism Podcast takes you through Luther's small catechism in order to educate, encourage, and equip you in your Christian faith and for all your callings in life. This episode begins our walk through the Ten Commandments. And so we begin with the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This episode will explore how it is a challenge, yes, even for Christians to keep this first commandment, but also how there is supreme comfort for God's people who know this commandment and keep this commandment. If you're following along in your own Luther's Catechism book, we are on page 46, covering questions 32 through 38. If you do not have a copy of this edition, you can purchase your own at the following web address, online.nph.net. With the first commandment, God plainly teaches us that we should have no gods other than him, the only true God. As Christians, we may think that oh, it'll be easy for us to keep this commandment. After all, we're Christians. We believe the true God who tells us about himself in the Bible. However, as we study this commandment, we will see that we often break this commandment by honoring other gods. And that's gods with a small g. What is a small g God? It is anything more important to you than the true God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God himself. It's anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. Small g God is anything so central, so essential in your life that if you should lose it, oh, you'd feel as though your life was coming apart, that it was hardly worth living. It's true. We often place more importance on something or someone other than God, thus making that something or someone our small g, God. We need God's strong reminder here in the first commandment to fear, love, and trust him, the true God, above all things. Why is it so important? Question 32. Why is it so important for us to know the true God? Well, listen to these great many blessings we have as I read through a host of passages that tell us about the true God. John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Acts 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 1 Peter 3 verse 12, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. John 16 verse 23, Truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us 
and make his face shine on us. One more, Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. We're asking the question, why is it so important for us to know the true God? It's because the greatest blessing we have, the most prized treasure we have, is to know God. And in scripture, he reveals himself to us. Who is this true God? There is no one God but one. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 4. Isaiah 45 tells us that this God... Who is he? He is a saving God. There is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none but me. Matthew 28 tells us he is a triune God. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Who is the true God? It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working as one God, to carry out our salvation. And yet, while God is revealed to us clearly in Scripture as the triune God who gives us so many different blessings, well, people break this commandment in many, many ways. What are some of the ways that people dishonor God? Psalm 41 tells us that some people deny the true God. Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 115 and Isaiah 44 tell us that some people actually intentionally worship other gods or deities that are created as whether as physical images or, or images made up. The idols are silver and gold made by human hands, says Psalm 115. Now, we hear those passages, and, and as Christians, it's easy, easy for us to think that, well, we don't deny that there's a true God. We don't worship things made of silver, and yet we know that we are also guilty of breaking this command by worshiping what we've called small g gods, anything that's more important to us by God, than God, anything that absorbs our heart, our imagination more than God, anything that we seek and look to, to give us what only God can give. Now, what we've noted in this commandment is that it's explained in this way, that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We understand what the words love and trust mean. Those are pretty common words. However, let's consider what we mean when we speak of loving and trusting God. For then, those words take on special significance. To love God means to treasure Him and His Word above anything else. To trust Him is to be confident that His Word is true and that He always provides everything we need. He keeps us safe and He gives us everything He's promised us. Unfortunately, our actions reveal that The sinful nature alive within all of us, well, it lives in us and it therefore leads us to love and trust in other gods instead of trusting in the true God. What are some of those ways that we as Christians may be guilty of sinning against God by breaking this commandment? 
Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. One way that we are guilty of breaking the first commandment is loving material possessions, loving money, our creature comforts, loving food and clothes, loving our bodies more than God himself, loving material things, looking to material things to give us the good that only God can. There's other ways still. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Think about all of the things that we have in, in the world, our reputation. Maybe we seek power, maybe not power over a country or nation, but we seek to control in our life, in our family, in our friends. We seek success, pleasure, experiences. We look for good in intangible possessions, our free time, our hobbies, our our sports teams. These things, looking to the things in this world and loving them more than God is breaking the first commandment. There's still more, more ways that we break the first commandment. Matthew 10 verse 37 says, Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. How do we break the first commandments? We love other people more than God. We think about the family, the friends, the people that we love in our life, the social groups that we're in, parents. We think about our children. How often do do these people, great and wonderful blessings that God has placed in our life, how often do they become more important to you than God? How often do they absor- absorb your heart more than God? Sadly, our material possessions, our families, our friends, and the intangible possessions that we, that we find in the world, power, success, pleasure, experiences, all of these things that are blessings from God, and we thank Him for them, oh, they become too important to us. And when they do, they begin to take God's place in our hearts. They become small g gods or idols when we love them more than we love God. How else? Well, let's consider some passages from the Old Testament. Other ways that we break the first commandment is by valuing our knowledge or our reason, our learning more than God. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Jeremiah 17, this is what the Lord said, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Here's what we know. God has blessed us in such a way that we can learn so many things. Think for a moment about the access that we have in our day and age to knowledge and learning. We know more about this complex world than previous generations did. We've developed medicines and invented technology that can do amazing things. But if we trust in our human knowledge, our intellect, our reasoning, or the learning of others, the expertise of others, so much that we believe and trust in that. And well, could it be that we 
get to the point where we do not need God's care, or at least think we do not need God's care, his love, his forgiveness. In doing so, we make gods of our understanding, our knowledge, our technology. That's how we break the first commandment. There's still one more way to consider as we think about ways we can break the first commandment. John 5 verse 23 says this, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Here's the sad truth. Many people claim to believe in the God of the Bible, and yet they don't believe that Jesus is true God. They really believe in a God created by their imagination, by human imagination. And in reality, therefore, they're following a small g God, an idol, one that they've created in their minds. Now, in this past section, we reviewed what it means to love and trust God above all else. But what does it mean when we should fear God above all things? In his explanation of the first commandment, Luther says that we are to fear God. What does that mean? That's question 46. Matthew 10 tells us, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What does it mean to fear God? Well, it does in fact mean that we are to be afraid, have fear and anxiety over God's ability to destroy our body and soul. To fear God doesn't mean simply to be afraid of him. It also means something else. It does, in addition to that, mean that we are to recognize his power and his authority and be filled with great awe and respect. When our sinful nature leads us to sin, God does. He wants us to fear his punishment. He wants us to fear and have terror that we deserve death because of our sin. But here's the good news. We do not receive that punishment. We instead receive from him forgiveness. And so as we rejoice in that forgiveness of our sins, our fear of God also includes something else, appreciation that his power and authority gave us a savior. Ephesians chapter 3 Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The fact that God has done more than we could even imagine or even ask that in sending his son, Christ Jesus, to be our savior Oh, he has brought us eternal life. That brings about in us a deep fear for him or awe or reverence, deep respect for all that he's able to do. First Samuel 12 says this, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. That is the joy of the fear we have in the Lord. We rejoice in the fact that, yes, he has the power to punish us for our sins, and yet he has the power and love to save us from our sins. 
All the truth is that we will struggle with the first commandment throughout our lives. We will struggle with the tension that we hold to want to fear, love, and trust in God above all else. And yet we don't always do that more than we fear and love and trust other people or other things. So how can we have hope that God will love us as his children, that he will listen to our prayers, and that he will someday take us to heaven? That's question 37. Romans 5 verse 19. Just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. What Romans 5 verse 19 is talking about is the difference between our forefather Adam and our Savior Jesus. Through the disobedience of Adam, yeah, we were all made sinners. And yet through the obedience of Christ, many people have been made righteous. We are sinners who have heard the wonderful message that Jesus kept God's commandments in our place. And so out of thanks to Jesus for saving us, we do. We live lives powered by the Holy Spirit that turn us away from our sins and want to obey our God. Question 38. How does God's word serve as a guide for us who want to keep the first commandment? Jesus tells us what the commandment is in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In Psalm 73, we note the good that God gives us when we do follow his command. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 1 Peter chapter 5 notes how hard it is to follow the first commandment. And yet, as in humble repentance, we turn to God again, how much good God gives us. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Think about the wonderful promise and invitation that God is giving us in 1 Peter, that all of the the tension, the struggle that we have in our lives of, of wanting to follow God, but failing so often, sinning and trusting and fearing and loving other things above him. Even that anxiety, even that worry and stress and care, we can place on him because he cares for us. Fear, love, trust. Those three words summarize Luther's explanation of the first commandment. We fear God above all things when, yes, we are afraid of his punishment because of our sins and and when we are filled with such awe and respect that we do not want to sin and we think about the amazing things God can do. That's fearing God. We love him above all things when his promises of salvation through Jesus Those are the most valuable treasure and the focus of our hearts. That's loving God above all things. We trust him above all things when we bring all of our challenges and needs to him in prayer, believing he can help us. That's trusting God above all. We demonstrate that trust, especially when we look to him to help us with our greatest problem, our sin, and believe his promise that he has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. 
in the Bible, we can find many, many examples of people for whom the promises of God were more valuable than life itself. One example of this is in Daniel chapter 3. I want to invite you to study Daniel chapter 3 with your friends and family and those you are studying the catechism with. Here you will learn about God's miraculous rescue of three men from the fire. But before the men were thrown into the flames, they didn't know what God would do. And yet they were willing to risk their lives. Why? Because they feared, loved, and trusted in God more than anything else. Go ahead and as you talk about this and discuss this with others, describe a time when you had to put God first. And it might have meant that you did or could have lost something. What truths from the Bible can help encourage us in such situations? We end by considering a quote from Martin Luther. He writes, You shall have me alone as your God. What is the meaning of this commandment? Answer. A God means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distresses. So to have a God is nothing other than trusting and believing him with the heart. I have often said that the confidence and faith of the heart alone makes both God and an idol. If your faith and trust is right, then your God is also true. On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you do not have the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Now I say that whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. My friends, may God bless you this week as you continue to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Because here is the good news this God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46, verse 1. Friends, thank you for joining us for what has been another episode of Luther's Catechism Podcast. I pray that you have found this episode educational, encouraging, and it has equipped you in your Christian faith and for all your callings in life. The Lord bless you and keep you until we have the opportunity to join together again in the study of Christian doctrine here on Luther's Catechism Podcast.